Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to all of you. He is risen. And I know that they just walked off, but we should give a special round of applause. That kinetic activity has been going on all morning long. That praise band really put out a ton of energy in giving glory to God. And for good reason, this is, as we are, this, this, is, this is the biggest event on the Christian calendar, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are unashamed about lifting up our voices to his glory. Amen. We have been looking the last few weeks on who Jesus is. He is the greatest. He, and, 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 and in so doing, we've looked at him as the greatest prayer of all time, the greatest prayer in history when he poured his heart out to his heavenly father in that intercessory prayer in John 17. We moved from there to the greatest trial in history when he poured out his heart in Gethsemane as he anticipated the cross that he was about to go to. And if you were with us just a couple of days ago on Good Friday, we looked at the greatest act in history as Christ died for our sins. And today, the greatest curtain call. You know what a curtain call is, right? That's where you've had seen some performance, Broadway or otherwise, and at the very end, when it's all over, the actors come out, the lesser to the greater, and as the, the, ones, the, the, the best actors come out, the ones who are the main actors, the applause begins to raise, the voices are cheering, and if it was a great performance, they'll do a, they'll do a curtain call. And if it's really good, they might do more than one. On February 24, 1988, Luciano Pavarotti, the great tenor from Italy, uh, sang in Berlin, Germany. His performance was so striking, so amazing, he did, watch this, count him, 165 curtain calls. He had to be exhausted. It was a world record to this very day for curtain calls. World record, but not the greatest curtain call. The greatest curtain call is when Jesus Christ died for us and rose again from the grave. By far, the greatest curtain. When he died for us, the curtain, the literal curtain in the temple, was ripped from top to bottom, thus giving us act, symbolic access to God, entering into the Holy of Holies. And when he rose from the dead, the stone was rolled away, thus giving us access to Jesus, who is the only way to God. Actually, as has often been said, the stone wasn't rolled away in order for Jesus to get out. It was rolled away so that you and I could get in. And see that the tomb was indeed an empty tomb. Now, all of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record the death and resurrection of Jesus. All dramatically, but no one more dramatic than Matthew. Here's how his rendition puts it. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn... Of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Which I always think is kind of funny. Just picturing the angel just sitting on that stone. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Remember that. Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. You can say amen. amen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. What an admixture, fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, which, by the way, literally means rejoice, which is what you do when your Savior has just risen from the dead. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him, which is what you do when you meet the Savior risen from the dead. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. In his life, the Lord Jesus Christ showed us repeatedly his authority and his power over death by repeatedly raising people from the dead. And in his resurrection, he showed that he himself, just as he said, had the power to lay down his life and to raise it back up again. In John chapter 11, just before he raised famously Lazarus from the dead, he said he described himself as the very essence of the resurrection when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. And then looking at that, that audience of disciples and others, he said, do you believe this? And that's always the question. That's been John's question throughout. Pastor Brad brought that, brought that up just the other night. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's the question. Jesus' resurrection affirmed and reaffirmed his word, his power, his authority over life and death, and literally his resurrection is what makes the gospel, which means good news, good news. It's not good news if we have a dead Savior, but he is risen. That's what makes it the good news. And together, his death and resurrection is what allows us to go to heaven when we believe in him. Peter put it like this. He said, blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, who caused us to be born again to a living hope by the resurrection from the dead. That's what makes the gospel good news. Now, we just read the account, and you need to remember that the death and resurrection of Jesus happened in real time. Now, we're looking back, right? But this happened in real time, and the reality of both events, death and resurrection, powerfully impacted everyone. His death impacted everyone, and his resurrection impacted them even more. So take, for instance, the Jewish religious leaders. What it, did, it, it caused them to be worried. Do you remember what happened right after Jesus died and they buried him? Uh, he, they went to Pilate. They said, now look, this deceiver, he told us he was going to rise from the dead. So look, I mean, uh, lest his disciples come and, 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 and take his body from the, the, the tomb, uh, you need to post a guard around there. I think that's interesting. Those religious leaders had enough faith in the words of Jesus to go to Pilate, but not enough to go to heaven. And really, they were adding to the evidence, having a Roman guard posted, having the seal of Rome put on there. That just added to the evidence that Christ has risen. 
And of course, their worries would come true, not that the disciples would pull off some mission impossible, but that Jesus would pull off the impossible and rise from the dead. Now, among us here this morning, some of you are worrying, and you should be, especially if you have not come to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The two go together. It's, it's vitally important that you believe them both. We need the death of Jesus to take our sins out of our souls. We need the resurrection of Jesus to take our bodies out of the grave. That's why you have to believe in both. And if you haven't done that, you have every right to worry. After having several Bible studies with a friend of mine who actually fell in love with the person of Jesus and all that he did, he studied the Gospels. And when he studied the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus even brought tears to his eyes. And I said, do you believe that Jesus died? Yes, I believe that. I said, do you believe he rose again? He looked at me and he goes, I don't think I can believe that. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe that, you have every reason to worry because you're not a Christian. And it's a belief from the heart that changes the life that these Roman or rather Jewish leaders had nothing of. The Jewish leaders were worried. The disciples were afraid. The word was out on them, or so they thought. I mean, do you know that John's gospel tells us that during this time before Jesus, between Jesus' death and resurrection, they locked themselves in their house? That's what John 20, verse 19, they were locked in the house. They were so afraid. The truth of the matter is to the to the Romans and to the Jewish leaders, I mean, they figured the whole movement would die with Jesus. They had another thing coming, right? They probably weren't concerned for his followers, but they were afraid. And that's, that's the way you are when you live in fear. When you live in fear, you see shadows everywhere. And some of you are like that right now. To these Jewish to the disciples, rather, I mean, probably they thought there was a Roman soldier around every corner and behind every knock of the door. And I don't know what your fears are, but some of you in this room are petrified of dying. I find people all over the place that are so, they love life, they love everything about life, but when they think about dying, it scares them to death almost. You have good reason to if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You have every reason to be afraid. But let me just say this to you. What if Jesus would add to your drama today by applying his resurrected life to your dead life and make you resurrected? That's what the resurrection does. Jesus' death and resurrection coming into your heart will give life to your dead souls today. The Jewish leaders were worried. The disciples were afraid. Peter was devastated. If you know anything about Peter, it's been a really rough week for him. He's had a really rough week. I mean, he's given his allegiance to Jesus just before he denied him. And in between that, fell asleep on Jesus, tried to defend Jesus and made a fool out of himself. And then, just as Jesus prophesied, he denied him and again and again. And when he denied Jesus for the third time, the cock crowed. Imagine the last impression you would ever have of Jesus being the one that Luke, Luke gives us. Luke says, as soon as Peter denied Jesus and the cock crowed, it says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
their eyes would have matched, would have locked. This was the last impression that Peter had of Jesus. Imagine that on your conscience. Some of you here this morning have bad consciences. You've done certain things. You've said certain things. Stuff you can't take back. Some of you are living certain ways that are making your consciences guilty and rightly so. I don't know what kind of impression you get from this, but I, wanted, I want this message to give you hope. When Jesus looked at Peter, it wasn't a look of disdain. It wasn't even a look of I told you so. Jesus loved Peter in spite of his failure. And we'll see what that would look like a little bit later on. But you can imagine he was devastated. And some of you right now are devastated. Your consciences are bothering you, and rightly so. One more thing. There's so many characters in this story. I could talk about Judas. He's gone. He's killed himself by now. There's no hope for him. He's already dead. There's the Romans but, and Pilate and his wife. And I want to make a beeline to the women. I, uh, I misspoke last week. Nobody called me out on this, by the way. But I misspoke when I said that everybody around Jesus failed him during his passion. That was not exactly true. The women never failed him. The women were there. They were the last ones at the cross and the first ones at the grave. They didn't fail him, but they were heartbroken, just like some of you. They came with the spices. We just saw that, trying to finish the job that Nicodemus and Josephus hurried to do, wondering with their broken hearts, who would open, you know, roll the stone away, etc. Their hearts were broken. I'm confident in a room this full this morning that some of you are here celebrating Easter with broken hearts. You're broken because you've been abused. You're broken because you've been abandoned. Some of you have spouses that have either deserted, divorced, or died. Either way, your heart is broken. I want you to know that Jesus sees that broken heart. Some of you have children that have died prematurely, and your heart is broken. There's someone at the gym that we go to that we, my wife and I, we really like this guy, and another gal in our church who came to Christ a few years ago who goes to the same gym. We all like this guy. We talk with him every once in a while. We all have a burden for this guy. And so my wife and this other gal in our church approached him just the other day, and they made an appeal to him to come to the Easter services this morning. They knew that his daughter had died of cancer a couple of years back. And he looked at them with tears in his eyes, and he said, I'm too heartbroken. I can't do it. When you think of him, you can pray for him. Some of you might relate to that a little bit. You're so brokenhearted like these women. And I would say to you who are brokenhearted, take heart. Jesus Christ is risen. And that can change everything in your life and in your outlook. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everybody on the scene. 
Everybody I've mentioned, and then some, were changed for the better or the worse as a result of the, re- uh, the resurrection. And my appeal to you today is let it change you for the better. For the Jewish leaders, it changed them for the worse. Remember what they did? They, they said to Pilate, this deceiver, they were the ones who were deceived, and they were the true deceivers. Do you remember what they did when the guards came and they said, I don't know what happened. I mean, there's this light, whatever. We're falling like dead men. He's gone. We don't know what to do. The Jewish leaders said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell everybody that the disciples came, and they took them away, and they've been spreading that lie ever since. Covering up the truth won't take the truth away. It just covers it up. Eventually, your, your cover's going to get blown. And some of you are covering up truth right now. You're covering up some sin. You're covering up some denial. You can't cover it forever. I was actually talking to God about this the other day. I said, Lord, I could just use it. If you could just give me an illustration of some kind that would, that would illustrate this. And about then, my, a picture popped up on my phone from my daughter-in-law. And she said, I just got to tell you this. She said, uh, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was using some fingernail polish remover while sitting on my couch, and I spilled it. I did everything I could to clean it up, but it ruined the leather. So what I did was I tried to cover it up by putting the couch in a different place, the cushion in a different place in the living room. So her six-year-old, my six-year-old grandson, walked into the room and said to his mom, hey, where's that cushion you ruined? Then when he spotted it, he said, oh, mom, just, that's just like people trying to hide their sin. Out of the mouth of babes. Boom. Let me tell you something. Your cover is going to get blown, too. I got a better idea. Why don't you come to the one who died and rose again for you, who will cover your sins, and more than that, take them away. By the virtue, by the virtues of his death and his resurrection. Then you got the disciples. The disciples who were afraid locked the doors so that no one would find him. The resurrection changed them. They would become evangelists. Rightly accused of later on in just a few years of turning the world on its head, turning the world upside down. These And by the way, what happened to the disciples is one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection. These guys were cowering, fearful, scaredy cats, locking themselves in their home. Now they're out there preaching that he's risen. And people by the thousands are coming to Jesus. These individuals went from locking the doors of their home to unlocking the hearts of men. And it's still happening today. And then there's Peter. Peter, who was devastated, his last impression, the Lord himself turning to him, looking at him. Peter would be restored and become the leader of the entire group. In fact, all the gospels talk about the angels talking to the women, saying, go, to tell, go tell your disciples. But uh, Mark, who's, who was influenced by Peter... He's the only one who tells us that the angels didn't just say to the women, go tell Jesus' disciples. He said, go tell his disciples, watch this, and Peter. 
Wasn't Peter already a disciple? Yes, he was. But it was a word from Jesus, particularly to Peter. that said, I still love you. You're still mine. I won't forsake you. Come back to me. And some of you here this morning, you've left the reservation for whatever reason. You're not walking with God. Look at that word from Jesus to you. He's asking you to come back. He's turned back to you. And he's giving you a different look. A look that says, I want to restore you. Will you come back to him? And then the women. The women. The only ones who never failed Jesus. Last at the cross, first at the grave. They would be honored. They would be honored to become the first to witness the resurrected Lord Jesus. And I love the way John tells, he, he isolates one particular woman, one who truly loved Jesus. Her name was Mary. She comes to the tomb. She finds it empty. She is blurry-eyed from tears. She's beside herself. Her, the body is gone. And she finds the gardener out there, who is, if you've read the story, Jesus incognito. She doesn't know it. She says, please tell me where you put the body. Now, I'll take it from here. She is completely brokenhearted. And Jesus, with one word, says to her, Mary. The same one who said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I call my sheep by their own what? Their own name. With one word, with one word, Jesus healed her broken heart. And she said, oh, Rabboni! In other words, the, the highest of masters. And then she, of course, she worshiped him, which is what you do when you see Jesus resurrected, right? And she would be honored not only as the first to see Jesus, she would be honored as the first one to evangelize for Jesus. In fact, she takes off, finds his disciples, and she says, I've seen the Lord. When I read that the other day, I, I thought of what took place in this very room, in this very place, about 30 years ago. I was a freshman in Bible college. I was sitting back over there. And there was an older couple sitting in the pews over here, right where Pastor Brad and his wife were sitting here. A lot younger than them. Or rather, older. They're a lot younger. In fact, they were here every time the doors were open, and you dare not take their spot. It was a testimony time. It was a testimony time that night, and he stood up, and he began to read from Isaiah chapter 6. His back was to us all, and he read these words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then he wheeled about, and he said, how do you see him? I don't know what happened the rest of that service. I just remember that line. That man was our very own, our very own children's directors, not father, not grandfather, but it was Jared Leonard's great-grandfather. 
Jared has never met his great-grandfather. I have. But that man saw God. He knew God, just as Jared does, and Jared will see him again. And his question that night to all of us is my question to you. How do you see him? C.F. Lewis, C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity the way I believe in the sun. Not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything. And that's the way it is. When you put aside your worries, your fears, your cover-ups, and your broken heart, and you give them all to Jesus. You believe that he died and rose again for you. You trust him as your personal Lord, Master, Savior, Rabboni. And he'll take your sins away by way of the cross. And he'll take you out of the grave one day by way of his resurrection. How do you see him? Some of you need to see him with a heart of faith right now. The greatest curtain call was not when Luciano Pavarotti emerged from behind a curtain, but when Jesus Christ emerged from the grave. That's the greatest curtain call. But there are curtains in front of some of your hearts right now. A curtain of sin and blindness. But if you'll turn your eyes to see Jesus, he'll remove that curtain. He'll give sight to your spiritual eyes. He'll forgive your sins, make you his child. What better day to do it than Easter? The other day I was sitting with a guy I've been having Bible studies with, and you could see the light was coming on. Smart guy, an engineer. And he said, it's starting to make sense. And I said, what would, Brian, what would keep you from trusting Jesus as your Savior? He goes, nothing. I said, why don't you then? This is just two days, three days ago. He said, I think Easter's a good day. You're going to schedule your salvation? <laughs> he walked down that aisle two hours ago, came up to me, and he said, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior today. His eyes are open. He has spiritually left the grave where some of you are at right now. But if you place your faith in Jesus, you'll come out of that grave just as we sang because death was arrested by the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the resurrection Easter story. And I do pray in the name of Jesus who died and rose again that you would touch our hearts. Like Brian a couple of hours ago, would you touch a heart or hearts here? If you're here listening and you'd say, that's me, I'm full of fear, and I've been covering up, and maybe some of you have just broken hearts, sinful hearts, you're sorry for your sins. Would you place your heart's faith in Jesus right now from your heart? Would you acknowledge your sin right now? 
from your heart, would you believe that Jesus died and rose for you? Would you just say, Lord, I believe you. Come into my life and save me. Would that be your prayer? Would you make that your heart's prayer? I trust you are, and that we all might be celebrating this Resurrection Sunday as well we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.